Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me today for our Championship Week Viewing Guide. So today we're going to run you through all of the Power 5 championship games that are coming up this weekend. It's a sports fan or a college football fan's dream. The games are nice and spread out. There's only uh, two of the games that overlap at all. Uh, so you're going to get to watch all of the major conference championship games this weekend. And it's a really special year because each one has playoff implications. There's been time specifically with the Pac-12 title game in the past couple of years that that game did not have any factor on the college football playoff, but that is not the case this year. So we have top 25 matchups in all five championship games. We have playoff implications in all five championship games, and we have so many scenarios to talk about. So today we're going to run through the viewing guide, tell you the channels, tell you the times. We're going to hit that. Then we're going to talk a little bit about some narratives that just as I've been listening over the last few days, kind of getting ready for this weekend, some of the narratives that I'm hearing, some of which are true, some of which are a little bit true, and some of which are completely and utterly false. And then we're going to talk about opinion a little bit, and I'll tell you uh, through a few different scenarios who makes the playoffs, where those games would be, and what the matchups would be. So I hope that you enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. So this week's viewing guide is probably the simplest one for me at least, to kind of prepare the entire season. Uh, we've got the championship game. So we're going to start on Friday night at 8 o'clock. Um, I heard somebody talking about the fact that the Pac-12 game was on Friday night, and the, they, they mentioned just kind of in passing that for a lot of people, it's the one time of the year that the Pac-12 is all that's on and all that the whole country is watching. And I think that's very, very interesting. The last few years, and really since the playoffs started, the Pac-12's been playing this game on Friday night, and I always really thought that was weird. But when you think about it like that, to be able to put on this game in one of the you know better stadiums in the country, it's the 49ers uh, stadium out in Santa Clara, um, and to put it on Friday night as kind of the kickoff of championship weekend instead of competing with – other conference championship games, I think it's a really smart marketing move by the Pac-12 to kind of carve that niche out on Friday night. So Friday night, 8 o'clock, ABC, you get number five Utah at number 13 Oregon. Utah's the six and a half point favorite. Uh, this game was on track two weeks ago to be probably the, the marquee game of the weekend outside of the SEC championship game. Because it seemed like it was going to be a play-in game. It was going to be a one-loss Oregon and a one-loss Utah team. And the winner would be prime position to, to make the playoff. Unfortunately for the Pac-12, unfortunately for Utah, uh, Oregon lost a couple of weeks ago to Arizona State in that crazy game. Uh, and now the Ducks are out. Now, the Ducks can still make the Rose Bowl, which is n no small accomplishment, especially for a Pac-12 or a Big Ten team. Uh, going to the Rose Bowl is not a failure of a season. But for Oregon, their opportunity at the playoff is, is, is gone. So Utah coming into this game as the favorite, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the brand of Utah could really benefit on Friday night. A lot of people 
probably, you know, don't even realize that Utah is in the Pac-12. That's not that's a new development just in the last few years. Uh, so for Utah to be able to go out on a national stage with no other competition as far as other games happening at the same time, if Utah is able to go out and really hammer Oregon and what Utah has for anybody that hasn't watched them, I've watched them just a little bit. They are similar to Georgia in that they have a phenomenal defense. Their offensive statistics are better than Georgia's because, uh, well, frankly, they play mediocre defenses out in the Pac-12. But I think Utah is a team that is very, very similar to Georgia pretty much all the way around. Uh, they're they're kind of conservative, but they play really great defense. So if Utah is able to go out and not just beat Oregon – but really lay it on Oregon, they're going to have the first chance to make a huge impression on championship weekend. Saturday is chock full of college football, and it's chock full of championship games. We start at noon with the Big 12 title game on ABC. That's number seven, Baylor, and number six, Oklahoma. This game is played in Jerry World out in Dallas, and Oklahoma is favored in this game. Um, The... You know, common wisdom of this game is, you know, Baylor had Oklahoma beat a couple of weeks ago. It's about three weeks ago now uh, in Waco. That amazing first half that Baylor had, and they just went crazy. And then Oklahoma got rolling in the second half, came back, and won that game. I think most people expect Oklahoma to win this game. But for both the Pac-12 and the Big 12, style points are going to matter. So if – This game is competitive, or if it's very close, no matter if Baylor wins or if Oklahoma wins, that might not be a good thing for the Big 12 if Utah has won the night before. So what I would expect out of this game is I do expect Oklahoma to win the game, and I frankly expect Oklahoma to win the game going away. I think they're going to be, in my opinion, I think they're going to be probably one of the more impressive teams this weekend. Uh, I'm not sure if Baylor is, is, is as good as they are ranked right now and that's not necessarily a shot at Baylor but just who they've beaten throughout the season you know I think it's a thing where maybe they're a little overvalued I think Oklahoma's probably valued exactly where they should be I I think Baylor's a top 15 team just don't know about number seven so that's at noon four o'clock is is our marquee matchup of the day for the south uh the SEC championship game number four Georgia number two LSU I'm recording this on Wednesday as I look this morning. The line is uh, come down just a little bit. LSU is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, we are going to go deep, deep, deep diving into that game here uh, on Friday, so I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, Saturday night, These are this is the only time you have a couple of games that overlap. At 730, uh, number 23, Virginia, against number three, Clemson. That game is in Charlotte at the Panthers Stadium. Uh, that's going to be on ABC, and Clemson is the 28-point favorite. Now, um, we'll talk a lot about scenarios in the next few minutes, but I think uh, for the most part, I think it's a, a, a as as much as any of the games, I think people expect Clemson to wipe the floor with Virginia, and with good reason. Clemson has scored in their last four games, in their November games, they've scored 53 times. Uh, over that time, the uh, the only game they didn't score 50 was last week against South Carolina. They scored 38. Uh, the most points that they've given up over that time period is 14. So Clemson is rolling at the right time of the year. 
They had that scare a couple of months ago against North Carolina, and they have just been murdering people ever since. So uh, the 28-point favorite, and that wins this weekend as far as the biggest point spread of any of the title games, and that's not necessarily unusual. I think that's probably been the case the last few years that uh, the ACC championship game is the most lopsided. Uh, so it's a good thing we have another game to watch. Ohio State, the number one team in the nation, is a 16.5-point favorite over number eight Wisconsin. That game is on Fox. So you've got ABC really dominating on Friday night. They've got the noon game with Baylor and Oklahoma. They've got the Clemson-Virginia game on Saturday night. And then Fox will come back with the Ohio State-Wisconsin Big Ten championship game that's played in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, right there in the middle of Big Ten country. So, uh, again, number one versus number eight in that matchup, 8 p.m. So that's your viewing guide. I think for me the most interesting part of this entire weekend is just the flow. You know, if if all the favorites kind of win, what you're going to have is you're having Utah win on Friday night. Then you've got the Big 12 teams knowing that because they are currently ranked behind Utah and Utah has won, now they have to be impressive. And that's kind of what I think could happen. Uh, if, if Utah wins, Oklahoma goes out, and they know not only do we need to win this game against Baylor, but we have to win it in impressive fashion. Uh, the committee has shown in the past, I go back to 2014, they've been, they have shown that they can be impressed on the last weekend of the season. That year uh, – you had Ohio State, who came in as an underdog against Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game and blew them away, 59 to nothing. And they jumped Ohio State, I think, three or four spots and put them in at number four. And, of course, the Buckeyes would go on to beat uh, Alabama and win the national championship that year. So that's going to be the game plan if Utah wins. That's the game plan for the Big 12 title game is somebody's got to run that up. Somebody's got to make a statement in hopes of being able to jump Utah. Both Oklahoma and Baylor have consistently been behind Utah since the rankings came out. So it would be a, at least to me, a little bit of a surprise if, you know, let's say Utah wins by 10, Oklahoma wins by 14, and we get the ranking on Sunday afternoon and we see that Oklahoma's been ranked above Utah. That would shock me. I mean, that would absolutely shock me at this point just because I, I don't think anything that the committee has done has shown that they would be willing to do that. Um, now, let's go the other way. Let's say Oregon wins on Friday night. Now you've got two teams that wake up on Saturday morning thinking, okay, we are one win away from the playoff. And that's that's going to be kind of a different situation as well. In a way, you think Baylor, a team that has not necessarily been on this stage uh, in a while, they may benefit from Utah winning and not necessarily feeling that pressure that now they're under the gun and they really are dealing in a situation where they're a win away from uh, the playoff. Whereas Oklahoma, they've been in the playoff the past couple of years. They're used to this pressure. You, you know, last year they pretty much had a play-in game against Texas. So uh, maybe that benefits Baylor a little bit if Utah does win to kind of take the pressure off a little bit. But it definitely opens a door for either one of those teams if Oregon wins on Friday night. And I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. I think Oregon is very good. I think if you watch that Arizona State game, uh, 
they got down big off of a couple of turnovers and it happened really, really fast. And then all of a sudden they just clicked in offensively and they were able to move the ball down the field at will for the majority of that fourth quarter. They had just put themselves behind too much and they didn't have enough time to get caught back up. So if Oregon's able to move the ball on Utah's defense, that that's really the question of that entire game. But I, I think that game on Friday night's close. So the implications that the Friday night game have on the first game on Saturday are very, very interesting. Now, for Georgia, I don't really think anything that happens on Friday night or earlier in the day on Saturday matter at all because Georgia being at number four, not because they're four, but because of just the positioning of all the teams and kind of where everything is, Georgia knows if they they win, they're in. Also, and I've, I've really tried to rack my brain to figure out, and we're going to play scenarios here in a few minutes, to figure out if there's a way for Georgia to get in with a loss. And I just I don't see how it happens. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But the flow Friday night into Saturday, what that could mean, you know, you're going to have game day in Atlanta on uh, Saturday morning with the Pac-12 title game being in the can. Now they can kind of talk about it. That's that's going to be the narrative. And if you don't think narrative matters, you're, you're – you're really fooling yourself because the overwhelming nature of ESPN and the power that they possess in creating narrative across college football, and it absolutely affects the committee, um, it'll be interesting to see what the conversation is. If Utah is really impressive, you know, ESPN, Kirk Street, those guys, they may frame it as, hey, if Georgia loses today, Utah's in. And if Georgia wins today, Georgia's in. And it the they may kind of diminish the Big 12 title game before kickoff. Now, that doesn't mean that that's all that matters, but I do think that will have an effect on how things go this weekend. I kind of made this decision late to add a segment here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about narratives, and I'll tell you why. I, I've heard... And I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, of course. I'm, I'm a college football junkie, which means this is both the most exciting and most depressing time of the year because we're right here at the end of the season. And you realize, especially with college football, and, and I mean most sports are this way, you peak with playoffs and the end of the season, and then all of a sudden you know, you wake up the day after the championship game and you go, oh my gosh, it's a long way till September. So uh, I, you know, I take in as much information and opinion as I can because it's very interesting to me. Obviously, I have my own opinions. That's why I do this podcast. But it's interesting to me to hear what other people or other so-called experts uh, think or how they kind of spin things. And what I see, and I guess it makes sense because, you know, there's a, there's a finite amount of time on a Saturday. So on a certain level, you know, you can't watch every game. And so the narratives that surround a lot of these teams to me, you can hear when some of these you know, national experts get to talking about a specific team, you can tell the ones that they've spent a lot of time watching and the ones that they haven't. And you know, for the most part, the narratives are based in some level of reality, but most of the time they kind of talk in, about things in a way that's like they're definitive and, and they're really not. So the first narrative, and we're going to kind of start at the top of the rankings and just work our way down a little bit. The reality is, one, there are seven teams for four spots this weekend. Um, Now, a lot of people would tell you that no matter what happens, LSU and Ohio State are both in. I happen to agree with that. So really what you have is you have five teams for two spots. 
and we'll kind of get into that here in the next couple of minutes. So the, the, the overwhelming narrative about Ohio State and LSU is that they're the best two teams in the country, that they're on a collision course for the national championship game, and that that would be a really fun game. Um, I think that narrative, as far as the best two teams over the course of the season, I, I don't think there's much arguing with that. They're both undefeated, and they both have very impressive resumes. Um, whether or not that would be an exciting game, it depends on what you think is exciting. I personally prefer a game played in the you know mid-20s to mid-30s. The Iron Bowl was entertaining, but for me it was entertaining more because of all of the weird stuff that happened in that game. You know, I don't particularly enjoy watching PlayStation football, Big 12 football, kind of traditional Big 12, Pac-12 football, where it's up and down the field. There's nobody playing defense. It's just scoring, and whoever gets the ball last wins the game. I don't enjoy that as much, and I think – uh, that would be potentially what you would get between an Ohio State and an LSU. Now, it would be exciting for sure because if you have that kind of game in a championship game, I mean, you know, you've got a title uh, hanging in the balance and they're going back and forth. That could be very, very entertaining. But as far as just quality, I'd much rather see – uh, a good game that's played between two evenly matched teams where, you know, you have to use all facets of the game. There, You have to kick some field goals. You have to punt well. Field position matters. And there's opportunities for big plays and scoring. I don't want to see 9-6 to six like Alabama-LSU in 2011. I just think there's a middle ground there. And when people talk about how amazing an LSU-Ohio State matchup would be, to me, I see two teams that – are very, very similar, and sometimes those similar teams don't make for great games. Now, for me at least, Clemson is the one where the narrative is all you know about Clemson. And the reason I say that is, can anybody say that you've watched Clemson play a game this entire season since September? Uh, I can't. And it's not because I don't, you know, I hate Clemson or anything like that. It's just the games haven't been competitive. It's kind of how it was for me last year with Alabama. You turn the game on a little bit, you watch it for a few minutes, you realize that it's not competitive, and you go and do something else. You know, Clemson hasn't paid, played a competitive game since they played North Carolina. Now, is that Clemson's fault? No. It's everybody else's fault for not being able to be competitive with Clemson. We shouldn't punish Clemson in our minds for the fact that they haven't uh, had to, you know, play a competitive game. Now, it's also not necessarily Clemson's fault that their schedule stinks, but you have to accept the fact and the reality that Clemson has not beaten a team that is currently ranked in the top 25 this entire year, period. It doesn't matter that, you know, uh, Texas A&M was highly ranked or in the top 12, I think. I think they were 12 when they played earlier in the year. A&M has shown that they're a fine team, but they're not exactly a great team. So while you can't punish Clemson in the same way that you couldn't punish Notre Dame last year, Notre Dame did everything they could. They won all their games. They got in the playoff. But I think it is very fair to look at Clemson and say, are they as good as LSU and Ohio State? They may very well be, and I think they're going to crush Virginia, and I think they're going to get in the playoff. And if they are as good as Ohio State and LSU, they're going to have every opportunity to prove that on the field, probably by having to beat both of those teams to win a national championship. And Lord knows if they do that. If they go 15-0 this year, 
then I think everybody around the country will have to shut up all of next year until somebody beats Clemson. Because this year, you could look at it and say, yeah, they won the national championship, but they can't live off that all year when they haven't beaten anybody. If they go in the playoff and they beat LSU in the first round and then they go and they beat uh, Ohio State in the second round and for the title, man, I think Clemson's got to be the number one until they lose. Um, some people would say it should have been that way all along. I think it it's hard to t- to say how good Clemson is because they haven't had to beat those teams. Now, does that mean that I'm saying if Clemson played Ohio State schedule, they would have lost the game? Not at all. I just don't think we know. So the narrative around the narrative around Clemson centers around the fact that they haven't played anybody. But I think you have to use context when you're kind of looking at that because just because they haven't played anybody doesn't mean that they're also not very good, if that makes sense. For Georgia, <laughs> this is the most fun. I'm the most sensitive, of course, when I hear the narrative around Georgia. One is that our offense is bad. I'm going to take these two points, and I'm going to kind of take them one by one here. Um, Georgia's got a bad offense. Okay, Georgia does not have a bad offense, period. There's, there's nothing else that needs to be said about that. Georgia has a lot of talent on offense. Georgia's offense does not compare to Ohio State, LSU, or Clemson, period. But Georgia's offense isn't bad. So I, I, to me, that's, that's kind of a, you know, a, a sensitive point for me because I look at it and I say, you know, Georgia is a, is a team that is stronger on defense for sure and not as strong on offense. But just because their offense doesn't go out there, sling the ball around 50 times a game, score 70 points a game, that doesn't mean they're bad on offense. Georgia has scored enough to win 11 games this year. And I think that's, there's something to be said for that. Every team doesn't have to play the same. This kind of goes back to my point about LSU and Ohio State. They are impressive and they're winning and they're doing it in a very similar fashion. Uh, but that's not the only way to win. And so I, I get a little bit annoyed and I'm a little bit sensitive about the idea that Georgia is bad on offense because they don't do offense the same way that these other teams do offense. The second piece is, man, Georgia's got the worst loss of anybody that's in contention. And that's true. And this, this is what I'm saying about these narratives. That is true. Losing at home to a South Carolina team that ends up uh, – I guess, did they win three or four games? It doesn't matter at this point. They either, they're not going to a bowl. They lost at home. Uh, there was no rain that day. There was no wind that day. Georgia laid an egg at home against South Carolina. There's no arguing that. Uh, I would rather talk about the good wins instead of the bad losses because at this point in the season, there's no such thing as a bad loss. Georgia losing to LSU is not a bad loss. It's not about bad losses. It's about the potential to be able to win a playoff game. And Georgia's beaten the number nine team, the number 11 team, and the number 15 team in the current ranking. So Georgia has shown that they can win. It's the opposite of the Clemson argument, okay? I'm not saying Georgia should be ranked higher than Clemson. They lost that game. They should not be ranked higher than Clemson, period. But when you're comparing resumes, one of those two teams has shown that they can beat a good team one of them hasn't. So I think if you were comparing one-loss teams, and, and I think that's where Georgia benefits over all the other one-loss teams at this point, they've got wins that the other one-loss team don't. So the fact that they have this bad loss, well, a loss is a loss. Every team with one loss has a loss. 
I would rather think about what's going forward, who could win. You know, if you we're talking about the four spot, um, now again, in just a few minutes, we're going to play scenario. There's no way for Georgia to make the playoff and be number four, but we're talking about that fourth spot. So let's just kind of play around with it. There's no way that you can look at it and say that Georgia can't compete with the other teams in the top four. And I think if you're looking and you're saying, okay, who has the best chance to beat a Clemson, to beat an LSU, to beat uh, Ohio State, I don't think you can just eliminate Georgia because of their bad offense. Now, we'll find out this weekend because Georgia gets to play LSU. But I, I think the, the bad offense narrative is overblown, and the bad loss narrative matters a whole lot less than the good wins. But the good wins don't get to count for Georgia. They only count for Ohio State and LSU for whatever reason. To me, the narrative that is the it kind of spawned all this for me was the one surrounding Utah, okay? Um, Utah has been called, the, the, the term I get, I hear the most with Utah is they're a complete team, okay? That goes for Ohio State and that goes for Utah. You hear that they are complete teams, which means they play a little defense, okay? Now, how Clemson is not considered a complete team, I don't know. But if Dabo wants to be upset about anything, be upset about the fact that, you know, use, use Utah. Don't use Georgia as your example. Use Utah. I don't know if you didn't hear Dabo's rant this week. Just Google it. Uh, he said some pretty stupid things, and he used Georgia as the example of how the college football playoff committee doesn't want Clemson in, nobody respects Clemson, you know, whatever. Um, it was a bunch of crap. But to me, if, he, if there was a gripe, you hear Utah constantly referred to as a complete team, and it's because they play good defense in the Pac-12, and that's not supposed to really happen. They also have a pretty good offense, so they're like balanced on both sides of the ball. But what is amazing to me is that nobody points out the fact that Utah hasn't beaten anybody. Utah has the same number of wins, zero, over top 25 teams as Clemson does. But nobody knocks Utah for that. And somehow... When you get into that next tier, you know, you know, Georgia has the wins. So they're at four right now of the one-loss teams. But when you're ranking those, you know, Oklahoma, Utah, Baylor, those other one-loss teams, and, and even going back for the last few weeks, you know, you, you had Utah ranked above teams like Penn State and people like that with one loss, Minnesota. And Utah hadn't beaten anybody. So it's curious to me that – Utah has gotten the benefit of the doubt there, uh, and I don't know. I think it, it's one of two things, and they're complete opposites. Either the committee is watching Utah every week, and they're very impressed with what Utah has been doing, or the committee hasn't watched Utah at all, and they're just hearing this narrative about, you know, that they're a complete team. So because they're a complete team, we're going to put them ahead of Oklahoma and Baylor. I'm going to tell you right now, if Utah wins – Friday night, and if Oklahoma wins Saturday at noon, you ask Ohio State, hey, which one of those two teams do you want to play in the first round of the playoff? They'll say Utah every single time and twice on Sunday. They're going to want to play Utah. One, Utah's never been there before. Kyle Winningham, their coach has never been there before. So you're playing a team that doesn't have playoff experience the way that Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma do. But on the other side, you have a, you know, Oklahoma's defense, oh, they're not supposed to be any good. That's the narrative around them. Their defense has actually improved a lot. 
Their defense is a lot like Georgia's offense. Is it elite? Absolutely not. Is it good enough to win? Yeah, because on the other side of the ball, Oklahoma has an amazing offense. And I think that's one of the things that these complete teams, you know, maybe don't have is they don't have an elite unit. Oklahoma's offense is elite. So could Oklahoma's offense win with LSU's defense? Probably, you know, I don't know. That's kind of the same kind of team. But they couldn't win with Utah or Georgia's offense and their defense. But they don't have to because their offense is so strong. So I think for me – Utah and Oklahoma, the narratives around those two teams are going to be very, very interesting. And that's why I'm, I put a lot of value on that game day uh, conversation Saturday morning. But here's the other piece, and, and this is just the reality of it. Let's say the top three win, and then you get to uh, Utah and Oklahoma both win. The committee is going to have to then make a decision between Utah and Oklahoma. And the reality of that decision is one of those teams might be better in the committee's mind. And at this point, I think you'd have to call that team Utah. One of those teams is a lot more marketable nationally. I mean, if you told me the playoff was going to be Ohio State versus Oklahoma and Clemson versus LSU, I am marking out on the 28th. I am am taking from 4 o'clock until midnight, and I'm on my couch, and I'm not doing anything else. If you tell me that Ohio State's playing Utah in the first game, then the conversation's a little bit, well, if you got anything to do in the afternoon, I'll catch it when I catch it. But I don't think Utah has a prayer of beating Ohio State. And I think nationally, as far as the, the perception of that game goes, I think people would look at Oklahoma and say they have a shot against Ohio State. And I don't think many people, whether it's true or not, would expect Utah to have a shot against Ohio State, and that could affect the ratings. Now, you may think to yourself, well, the ratings really don't matter. They absolutely matter. Don't forget, the reason the playoff is being played on the 28th, which is the Saturday, is a few years ago, the first year that they had the two college football playoff games on New Year's Eve, the ratings tanked, and so they scrapped that plan, and they went to the Saturday before New Year's if the game was not going to be Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl if, in, on those years. So the ratings absolutely matter, and that's a consideration that the playoff committee is absolutely going to have to make. All right, everybody else gets to do it. I haven't done it a whole lot this year, but let's play the what-if game. So I think there are a few scenarios, and, and, and let's be honest, there has been a little bit of controversy in the college football playoff era, but for the most part, most years from 2014 until 2018, most years it's come down to like a team or two, maybe one team feels like they have a gripe, but there's a very logical argument for not letting them in. This year... There's the potential of absolute and abject chaos, depending on what happens Friday night into Saturday. And we could look back three or four or five years from now, point to this year and say, that's the year that we got an 18 playoff. Because if you think about it, 2011 was that year for the college football playoff, okay? 2011 was the year that Oklahoma State had lost to Iowa State. I think it was Iowa State. Um, on a Friday night, kind of in the middle of the season, 
they had a at the end of the year they had one loss. They were the Big Twelve champion, and then you had Alabama, who didn't even win their division, had lost to LSU, who was undefeated during the regular season in the game of the century that really kind of sucked because it was nine to six and I fell asleep and I think you probably did too. Now Alabama got in over Oklahoma state. And then three years later, the college football playoff was born. So in the same way that 2011 gave us the college football playoff, we could look back and say that 2019 gave us an 18 playoff. And scenario A, I think, is what would lead to that. For me, scenario A is the simplest one, the one that seems to be the most direct and the one that, honest to goodness, my heart just desires more than anything. So in this scenario, Georgia beats LSU. Doesn't matter what the score is. Georgia beats LSU, and your playoff is set. This is, of course, assuming that Ohio State and Clemson win their games. So that would be uh, Ohio State is number one, Clemson number two, Georgia number three, LSU number four. Ohio State and LSU would play in the Fiesta Bowl, and UGA and Clemson would play in the Peach Bowl. Now, why is that going to lead to an 18 playoff? Because then you have the potential in the big or the Pac-12 of Utah winning their game and being a one-loss conference champion, not getting into the playoff. And a no matter what happens, no matter who were to win the Big 12 championship game, you've got a one-loss Big 12 champion not in the playoff. So a lot of the other years, the teams from other conferences that have been left out, you know, you got a four-team playoff, you got five power conferences. So you're guaranteed every single year for one of the conference champions not to get in the playoff, which all of the conferences agreed to this system. So it's that it's a little bit their own fault when they get left out. However, this would be only this, or I guess the second or third time where multiple teams get in from the same conference. There wasn't a huge argument about it back in 2017 when Alabama got in over Ohio state because Ohio state had two losses and Alabama only had one. But this year, you'd have Georgia in as the SEC champion with the exact same record as, you know, the Big 12 and Pac-12 champion, and LSU, a non-conference champion, with the same record as those conference champions getting in. Now, I don't think there's any way in the world that LSU would not get in if Georgia beats them on Saturday, maybe if Georgia wins by 60, but that can't happen because there's no way in the world Georgia's offense can score 60. And as good as Georgia's defense is, LSU can't score negative. So that's not going to happen. So LSU and Ohio State are in. But I think if Georgia wins, I think we might look back three years from now and say, well, it's Georgia's fault <laughs> that we have an 18 playoff. So scenario B is chalk, which means the top three win so LSU Ohio State Clemson all win their championship games Utah wins their championship game Oklahoma wins their championship game and the committee is forced to make that decision I talked about in our last segment do you go with the brand name Oklahoma or do you go with the team that has consistently been ranked higher in Utah the committee can do whatever they want okay so they'll have to kind of answer some questions afterward but there's no recourse for Utah if, if Utah goes out there and wins the Pac-12 title game on Friday night, let's say they win by 10, and then Oklahoma goes out and just stomps a mud hole in Baylor and wins by 20, 5 or 30 or something like that, the committee can come out, make Oklahoma fourth, and it'd be like, well, we were really impressed with Oklahoma. Or Oklahoma just beat the number seven team, and 
Utah just beat the number 13 team. They can, they, they'll be able to justify it however they want. Or will they make the controversial decision to leave a, a traditional power like Oklahoma, a one-loss Big 12 champion, out of the playoff and put in a non-traditional power like Utah that is, as I just talked about a minute ago, a complete team? That would be very interesting. So, another fun scenario uh, would be if the top three win, but so does Oregon and so does Baylor. So, this is chalk at the top. All the undefeated teams remain undefeated, but you get upsets in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 title game. This was the scenario that I was trying to convince myself Georgia maybe had a back door in, and this was kind of what I was thinking. The committee doesn't like Baylor. They can they can say whatever they want. I think the committee moved Baylor up so they can jump Utah for like they can they can put Oklahoma above Utah because they moved Baylor up. Uh, that's just my conspiracy theory. But if Baylor messes around and wins that game, I think the last thing this committee wants to do is put Baylor in the college football playoff. Um, if you look at Baylor's resume, at, at the end of it, I mean, yes, they'll have the win over Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game, but there's not a whole lot of impressive stuff on Baylor's resume. Their non-conference schedule is a joke. Um, I don't think they want to put Baylor in. So my thought was, okay, let's say we have an epic SEC championship game, Georgia plays great, and LSU kicks a field goal at the end of the game to win 30-28. Now, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit thinking about that. If that's the case, a last-second field goal, and then Baylor goes out and beats Oklahoma – would the committee look at it and go, we hate Baylor. We don't really think they're that good. We think they're going to get absolutely and utterly stomped in the playoff. We're going to put Georgia in there. Even with a second loss, we're going to put Georgia in there at four because we don't think Baylor's actually that good. I tried to convince myself something like that can happen. Uh, I failed. So in this scenario, top three win, upsets in the other two games I think you'd have Ohio State playing Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl which would be an absolute bore because Ohio State would win by about 175 points and then you got LSU and Clemson in the Peach Bowl which I think would be a good game so that's what you would get the next scenario involves something that I don't think is going to happen but would be interesting and uh, the only happiness this would bring me at this point is that I really Got very annoyed with Dabo Swinney uh, this week in listening to his comments. I, it, please go listen to what he said. It, it was just stupid. Um, but if Clemson loses to Virginia, do they still make the playoff? And I think it would matter then what happens around in the other games, and it would then matter how those other games played out. If Clemson loses, and let's say it's not close. Now, again, I don't think this is happening. I'm just throwing it out there for instance. So if Virginia beats Clemson by two touchdowns, I think Clemson's out. And I think you could see either, you know, at that point, depending on what happened elsewhere, you could see both Utah and Oklahoma get in. Um, or you could see, you know, just one of those two teams get in if Georgia beats LSU. I don't think – Clemson will lose. I think Clemson will win. I think Clemson will win going away. That's been their M.O. in ACC title games. But, you know, Dabo's conversation or one of the things he said this week is the committee doesn't want them in. I think they 
are very happy with Clemson being in. Clemson's been in the last few playoffs. Clemson won the national championship last year. I, I don't. There's no logical reason that the committee wouldn't want Clemson in. But because of Clemson's schedule, and I, I'll say the same thing about Alabama, even if they would have beaten Auburn, I made the argument last week that with a loss, Alabama sh- should have been out because they don't have any good wins. And I would say the same thing about Clemson. If they lose to Virginia, they should be out because they're, they have not played a good enough schedule to be able to handle a loss. They don't have enough wins to offset that loss. Um, the most fun scenario to think about as far as just, you know, let's say you're not invested in any of these teams. The chaos scenario is the top three all lose. And then Baylor and Oregon win. So what I'm saying is there's five games this weekend and you get upsets in all five games. Um, This, of course, will not happen. But just for fun, uh, what you would then have is no undefeated teams in college football because the top three would all lose. I think your playoff would then be Georgia as the top-ranked team in the country uh, going up against Ohio State in the Peach Bowl and LSU playing Baylor in the Fiesta. Um, now obviously I didn't go through, I mean, I I said what I thought would happen, but that would be Baylor beating Oklahoma, Oregon beating Utah, Georgia beating LSU, Wisconsin beating Ohio state and Virginia beating Clemson. Um, if you want the world to burn down, if you're like the Joker and some people just want to watch the world burn, that's your scenario because that ends up with uh, a, a muddled mess as far as the committee goes. ESPN, I think on a certain level, uh, would love it. They would love it on Sunday. They'd have the most viewers they've ever had to watch the uh, the the show announcing because really the committee at that point could do whatever they wanted. Um, you know, I've said that I think LSU and Ohio State would be in no matter what, but at that point the committee could do whatever they wanted. So it really would be just absolute chaos. And even as I am saying that, there's a big smile on my face because part of me thinks it would just be funny. Again, I prefer any of these scenarios where Georgia gets in. I could care less about anybody else. I just want Georgia in. Um, So I like that scenario, if for no other reason, because Georgia makes the playoff. Um, So there's a myriad of different things that could happen. But to me, those are kind of the, the five things that are, you know, could happen, what ifs that are at least worth talking about and that would have kind of dramatic differences as far as matchups and who plays where and all of that. Um. The committee, I think, wants simplicity. You know, if you're on that committee now, it's not that you're rooting for any particular team, but I do think if you're on the committee, you want an obvious choice. So Georgia beating LSU makes your life pretty simple. You've got your top teams, you know, Ohio State, Clemson win, Georgia win, the the playoff set. You know, anybody affiliated with college football would be able to say, okay, here it is. This is what it is. There wouldn't be a whole lot of outcry as much as I think it would change things down the road. I don't think by and large, there would be some upheaval about that. Um, I think the worst thing the committee could have happen this week is get that top three win. And you have to decide between Utah and Oklahoma. Because I think no matter what you do there, there's going to be a lot of people that look at that and say you made the wrong choice. So from a committee member standpoint, I think they're probably Georgia fans this weekend because I think that clears things up for them 
a lot. Thank you so much for listening today. This is an exciting time of the year. I'm going to just take one second here as I close everything out today and kind of go back and revisit something. You know, I I was thinking about this as I was getting ready this morning to, to do the podcast. I would be doing the viewing guide this week, whether Georgia was in the championship game or not, you know, um, but for Georgia fans who are kind of in that conflicted place that I talked about earlier this week, let's let's before the game starts and before I even get to the preview on Friday, let's take a minute to think, you know what, at least it's fun to still be playing. Florida doesn't have a game this week. Tennessee doesn't have a game this week. Alabama and Auburn, they don't have games this week. So no matter what happens, and this is not a loser mentality. This is let's take a breath. Let's have some perspective and be thankful that the sport that plays the fewest number games in all of major sports in America, college football, we only get 12. We're guaranteed 12 every single year. And for the past three years, Georgia has delivered a 13th in playing in the SEC championship game and a bowl game on top of that. So we don't get a lot of college football. We don't get a lot of game days every year. So let's be thankful this week that we have one more game week to gear up for. Of course, there'll be a bowl. No matter what happens on Saturday, there's a big bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl down the road. But let's be thankful for the fact that, hey, you know what? We got a game this weekend. We have something to talk about. We're in the conversation for the third straight year. The program is going in the right direction. Big picture. We'll see how it is, small picture, when we focus in on the 2019 season. We'll know Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Thank you so much for listening. Go dogs.